and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Robin Thorpe. So Robin's CV as a practitioner is obviously unbelievable, which he's going to get into a little bit later, but what we're here today to discuss is his research looking at hot and cold recovery methods and how you can use those to better enhance your recovery after training. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Robin onto the show. So Robin, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Cheers, Matt. Excited to be here and excited for our uh, our discussion going forwards. Thank you very much, buddy. So for, for first things first, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so um, I am, obviously, as the podcast states, Robin Thorpe. I, uh, I think it's probably easy to maybe start at the beginning. I... Uh, started my uh, sort of sports performance journey um, at Manchester United in the in the UK, uh, where I spent a decade as a sports scientist, uh, strength and conditioning coach, performance scientist, uh, head of recovery and regeneration as well at a certain point in time. Um, during that sort of tenure, I studied and completed an applied PhD looking into um, how to monitor recovery and fatigue and then also in turn how to manage that in in the first team at the club um and b- before this this period at Manchester United I studied a bachelor's degree in sports science and computer science and also a master's in sports science um and exercise physiology which uh, which which gave me that sort of background and foundation to go into into professional sport and then during the end of the sort of decade at Manchester United I started then to sort of branch out do some consultancy work in in boxing in golf um, I also worked for the Mexican national team um, in the lead up to the 2018 World Cup um, and then in 2019 um, made the made the jump across the pond to the US um, based in Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. I worked with a group of Olympic sprinters in the lead up to the Doha World Championships and to Tokyo Olympic Games. Um, and then since um, actually moved into the, the more project and sports performance and sports science consultancy world uh, and currently working on project-based work and consultancy with uh, an MBA team, um, Intel Corporation from the sort of technology world, um, a baseball team, and also another couple of uh, sm- smaller projects, um, which involves professional teams here in the US. Mate, that's a, a diverse range of experiences from, uh, yeah, from computer sciences all the way through to Intel and all of the professional teams as well. Um, but we're here to, to touch on some of your research because obviously it's great to, to sit there and chat shit about all those teams, but we're here to discuss some uh, hot and cold recovery techniques. So first things first, what, what is it? What is hot and cold exposure? Yeah, so I think this 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 the, the area of re- recovery and, and and like say some of the more temperature based modalities it, it stemmed from my role at Manchester United and and also the applied PhD research that I was doing as part of my role and it always and I say this in, in a number of 
conversations or formal work. It, always, it actually stemmed from Sir Alex Ferguson. He he asked a performance department that I was part of, like, are, are the players ready? Are they ready to train or compete that day or that weekend? And and so from that point on, it was right. Well, let's let's try and answer this question as best possible, which was was the research project that that I completed and. We, we didn't really know much about, one, how to monitor recovery of fatigue, but definitely we were sort of like stabbing in the dark when it came to how we manage recovery. And I think that when you sort of delve a bit deeper into the recovery world, it's, it's, it's quite sketchy and it's quite cloudy in terms of what we know. And there's probably been a, a cycle of, research confusing the industry and athletes and then sort of what athletes tend to do and what practitioners tend to do in different professions that sort of confusing and sending the research in a bit of a a skewed direction um and so knowing that that was sort of where i went a little bit deeper into actually what some of these recovery interventions that most athletes in the world, most practitioners in the world prescribe, what do they actually do from a, a physiological perspective? And so, and, and as you know, and as most people know, this, athletes are exposed to and such an array of different interventions and tools from different water immersions and, and temperatures whole body cryotherapy where it's like really really low temperatures there's massage there's new technologies there's electrical stimulation there's now percussion tools which are marketed as massage um, modalities or interventions so there's such a an array of interventions and it's no it's no wonder that there's a confusion in the area so the main thing for me was right well if there is a tool that we can use what does it actually do and, and what we what you, you soon find when you do look at the literature and the research is that a lot of these interventions and tools that are used traditionally have been used for years and years and years. They actually, from a physiological perspective, actually don't do a lot. And the main thing it seems to just be that there's a perception of improved recovery, which we all know could be attributed to an athlete belief effect. Or, or the placebo phenomenon, which which is a is a real thing and and it's quite potent within within sport. So across that research, the main efficacy actually ke- comes from some of the temperature based modalities. They actually have an effect on our physiology. We're sort of species and, and humans, which we respond to various temperature related environments. So that was almost well. Now we know that there's a, there's a couple of things related to to temperature and also physics and the law of thermodynamics and how temperature can transfer between the body and an and external source. Well, let's try and maybe start there and, and see how how exactly they they affect our physiology. So that was that was how it was sort of born and and that was real. That was try that I tried to articulate that in the in the recent paper that I published uh, last month in in frontiers which try to give that basis and that that basic understanding of why we should potentially use some of the temperature-based interventions ahead of of some of the more commonly used ones which in reality and if we're honest don't really do much at all i think that's uh 
a damnation of some of the interesting stuff that you see uh, flying through social media, which looks brilliant and maybe isn't quite as good as it seems. But in terms of hot and cold, then um, what do what are the benefits? Like, what what do you get out of it? Recovery sounds good, but what does it actually do in terms of making you recover faster? Yeah, so I think this is and this is the great question that I think everyone needs to begin with. So, and I think you should also begin with. Well, what are the, the the demands? What is the sort of f- physical, mental, physiological demand of your sport or the action that you're trying to recover from? Because there's a few questions that need to be answered initially. I mean, one, is it enough to warrant any recovery? Like, is the body even reduced from, from a recovery homeostasis perspective? And then... There's also considerations regarding phase of season or what are actual physical adaptation requirement. What What is that at that time point? Because if we're in a period where we're trying to stress athletes and increase adaptation, then we don't really want to recover. We want to try and stress them as much as possible. So that's something we need to sort of understand. But in terms of consolidating recovery, and if that is our main important factor, the first thing that tends to happen from a team sport perspective and I say that because unless you're in a very unique individual sport situation where it's purely endurance related or it's purely strength and power related, many team sports, you're going to, you're going to have a, a myriad of, of physical demands. So you're going to have an element of, and I'm going to talk mainly about the sort of muscle fatigue level now. You, you have a, some sort of metabolic demand and exertion you're going to have some sort of mechanical stress to the tissue as well. So first of all, we need to understand the, the levels of those two factors. But for me, the, the symptoms that arise from mainly the mechanical stress and that linking predominantly to structural damage of the tissue, one thing that is quite disadvantageous following that is the secondary damage phase, which occurs and this inflammatory cascade. And so what we know from papers and research sort of from decades ago is that the use of cooling can actually reduce that secondary damage phase and and, and some of that inflammatory cascade. So what we need to do, and there's been research and and good reviews in, in the last year that shows that just cooling for a short period of time or using a method like topical cooling or even to a certain level whole body cryotherapy which isn't really that potent in terms of cooling an area may not be doing the optimal role of of cooling in general so i think the use of whole body sorry the use of cold water immersion and using and understanding the law of thermodynamics and that water can have a a more potent transfer of temperature than solids or gases. I think that's going to be our our best case and our first, from a general perspective, our first port of call when it comes to trying to reduce that secondary damage phase and cooling the tissue. And that should be our first thing is how can we cool the tissue for as long as possible and for a potent level as possible as well. And I think from the research and I think typically from a practical point of view, cold water immersion is probably our best protocol for that first phase. I think following that, we we start to go into the more metabolic fatigue 
um, realm and some of the associations there is actually and some of the more recent work that's maybe on a cellular level but we actually could probably show that heating can improve some of those symptoms and some of those physiological responses so i think from a general model i think and and if we talk about a mixture of we do have some structural damage relating from mechanical stress and we do have some metabolic fatigue i think for sure i'm confident in saying that cooling first and using cold water is probably the best thing to do and then following that and if if there's more symptoms relating to metabolic fatigue then at that point i think heating may be the best and again from the the law of thermodynamics it seems that hot water immersion could possibly be the best thing we can do so when it comes to then implementing that um like let, let's say let's say you've got a football team and let's say uh, your team has just played it's been a tough game and they've got to play again in uh, four days time that's a, that's a fairly realistic scenario for a lot of top teams um what does a timeline look like then for an athlete or a team who've just competed and then need to recover immediately how does that look in terms of when they would apply the hot and when they would apply the cold yeah so great point and like everything in in our industry it seems like there's a there's a one answer or there's a silver bullet or there's the holy grail right that's what we have to do and that's the same thing in every sport in every every circumstance and it's, it's it's clearly not but I think from a generic point of view, and if you don't have the resources to monitor on an individual level, because I think that's really important, that does change the, the, the landscape a little bit. Straight away after that game, I'd be saying, right, you need to cool. Ice baths, cold tub, straight after the game. If our main objective is to recover as quick as possible, and that let's say we don't understand any match um, physical demand quantification either so because that can also help in in prescribing whether or not there's a big element of structural damage or really there's the, the player might have been really highly adapted that maybe it was a center back who didn't really have to do much there wasn't many eccentric or contractions or sprint distance there was maybe the majority of the fatigue was from a metabolic pathway etc so let's 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 say that it was a generic generic example, definitely cold water immersion straight after the game. And again, we won't talk about elements like sleep or nutrition. I think that's another discussion. But in terms of what we can do from a, a complementary recovery point of view in terms of interventions like hot and cold, straight away afterwards, cold water. I think the next day, typically in a football environment, they, could, I, could I ask how long are you going to do that for before we move on to the next one? Like how, how long are they going to stay in there for? Is it, is it two minutes, five minutes, half an hour? You're going to sit in there all night? How's, uh, how does that look? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Just chill yeah, in there, guys, and have a snooze. You'll be all right. Great question because this is something that it's like, well, all right, these, these generic protocols, all right, five minutes. I, we, we, I was involved at Manchester United where we had external staff came in from, from the continent and it was like it was only five minutes. That was it. Um, there's, there's decent literature that suggests that the optimal sort of dose response from, from cold water across the research is going to be around 10 to 12 minutes and sort of no, but between eight and 12 degrees Celsius. I think it's important to say that, um, I think anything shorter than that sort of 10 to 12 minutes is, is going to be questionable whether we get that sort of physiological response at that potent level. Um, and also 
if we're looking at water temperatures that are lower than eight degrees there's there's new work that shows that that may also alter some some perfusion at the muscle level as well so i think 10 to 12 minutes at between eight and 12 degrees celsius is going to be i think a, a good starting point for anyone um working with athletes or for athletes themselves i think you can sort of get deeper into it looking at body composition and how that may affect different differences between male and females etc and i always suggest in football it's submersion to the navel as well um other sports which may have a more a higher contribution of upper body demand it may be that they go into to, to higher levels such as rugby and, and and working in the past with a with a boxer they would also tend to, to go up to, to neck level but again there's there's other reasons for that um but like you say there's and and like what i i mentioned just a minute ago if we can call for longer then we're actually going to improve that physiological response so we've had examples where we had a player who had to play sunday wednesday and had some high level structural damage to the point where it could even have been tissue disruption injury and the manager wanted him to play on the wednesday there was no question so and, and our role is to support that manager and that player. So we actually went down an aggressive route of during a six hour period, the day after the game, when we were at the training ground, the player performed a protocol of four 10 minute ice bath submersions over a six hour period and kept inactive in between. And in the attempt of making sure that tissue temperature was reduced the whole time. And so we're not just doing a five minute or 10 minute protocol once where we, we, where we get that initial response. We're getting it over a six hour period. We're cooling the tissue, the tissue for a long period of time, which from what we know physiologically is going to reduce that tissue temperature and in turn, hopefully reduce that secondary damage phase. I think that's, that's super interesting, mate. And I unfortunately interrupted you as you were going on to that next phase as well. So can you take us through how you then go about using the warm side of things? Yeah, so I think from from in your example from like sort of four days in between in between games or or there or thereabouts, I think from a generic perspective, if you don't have these monitoring tools, I think I mean you can always ask players if they're feeling sore. That's going to give you a decent indication of whether or not there's some elements of structural damage. If there is, I think day day one, let's say after the game, I think we we're, we're calling the players again. I think that that's probably safe to say and I think following that period you're always going to get managers and coaches who are going to want to introduce these players back into the training process and so in that circumstance we want to try and facilitate and, and complement that process and at that point I think it's in, it's important to heat and hot water immersion or other hot modalities are going to be improving that circulation potentially from a, a cellular level we're going to get improvements and increases in certain advantageous gene expression when you get potentially a glycogen recentis rate uptake improvement and there's even work that's coming out that shows that from a cellular perspective we could probably improve healing if there is any situation where we've gone through a, a structural damage phase and we're now regenerating that tissue so that that works mainly related to injury but i think it's very um 
very akin to this situation as well. So I think from a generic perspective, I would do the first straight after the game, day one, cooling. And then as players are reintroduced to training, that's where we can facilitate that active active recovery, active training load. What we're hoping is a, a reduced level to, to a certain extent, but we're we're facilitating that with some some hot modalities. Um, I think that from a generic perspective, I think that's probably the best thing we can do. However, I think if we have a sophisticated or even a very simple monitoring system where we're just asking players certain questions of how they feel, I think we can start to individualize it a little bit. And there may be, and there likely will be players on day two and day three who could be still experiencing symptoms associated with, with this structural damage. And at that point, then let's call them again. I think that's uh, that's super interesting stuff, mate. And when when you're talking about introducing them back into training, um, and you're going to use some hot modalities to do that, uh, what does that mean in terms of the the prescription as well? Because uh, in my head, at least when you say that, I'm thinking, right, I get to chill out in a nice warm bath, and then I'm going to go onto the pitch and have a kick around. Um, is that is that the case, or are you are you a little bit more sophisticated than that, and maybe looking a little bit more accurately what's going on? Yeah, I think, and again, one of the key things is we're, we're trying to be as less disruptive to the training process as possible. I think it, it's fair to say that the training process, what happens on the on the pitch, on the field, is the most important thing, and we're there to support that. So there's been times where players have asked me about things they can do prior to that session or that training session on the pitch, and I think that discussion is more about how can I enhance their performance or their, their experience in that certain situation. So a lot of things I look at is after the training session. There's been instances for sure where we've had a really sophisticated monitoring system and we've been able to try and adapt what they do. So, and that may be about load and particularly on a, a two day after a game, because at that point we've seen the, the variability of how players respond and if they are ready to train again or are they are ready to be reintroduced to load there's a there's a split in almost every environment I've been when it came to the players, and that's that could be due to age, to how they've responded, all these external life factors that occur that can change any given external train load into something that they can respond to quite well or something they can respond to quite poorly. So I think following that training session, it would be right. That's the point where, depending on what tools you have at your facility or if you're just a weekend warrior you can run a hot bath at home and that goes and again the same goes for a cold bath just because something is cold water immersion or we see people in the media or we see train facilities with really cool ice bars etc if you run a cold bath at home in, in the uk particularly you're still going to get that water water temperature around 20 degrees celsius that's still going to give you a reduction in tissue temperature, particularly if you keep inactive following following the, the 10 minutes or if you do a little bit longer at home as well. So there's certainly ways in which everyone and general population as well can can all can sort of confer to this to this framework of using cool and heat to to facilitate and enhance recovery. 
I think that's uh, that's excellent advice as well, and it's it's good to hear that it's possible to do at home without loads of uh, with fancy equipment. Um, and just running a bath, yeah, like it's, it's, it sounds really obvious, but I can imagine there's people uh, historically that have been going out and buying absolutely tons of ice at the supermarket, um, and all of a sudden, yeah, they could just get a pretty decent result out of just running the cold tap. Um, mate, I think uh, I think in terms of time. I am not going to challenge you to try and squeeze out any more physiology or interesting stuff. So massive thanks for all of your fantastic information today. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone does who's listening as well. So uh, Robin, massive thanks. No problem. Cheers, Cheers, Matt. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Robin for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast on recovery and you want to get some more information, you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free where you'll find a range of different lectures on recovery and how you can optimize your performance. So to get that completely free, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes and you can get seven days for free using that link. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I would really appreciate it if you can give us a like and a share on social media as well. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.